Welcome to Woodlawn. I'm so glad that you're here. We want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online today. We're glad that you can come and be a part of our service. Now, I want to begin today by telling you that we've had a lot of staff who've had COVID, and I want to encourage you to pray for them. Uh, they've been either exposed to COVID, they've gotten COVID, they've been quarantined from COVID, they've gotten over COVID, or they didn't get COVID, okay? And so as of Friday, Steve Irwin tested positive, and so he's got to be out, so pray for him and his family. And I tested Friday because I was exposed to another staff member, but I was negative. So I'm here today. If I had not been, I wouldn't be here, but here I am. Also, we're doing 21 days of prayer. You just heard about it. I want to encourage you. It's Monday through Friday at 6 a.m., either in this room or in the other worship center. We had trouble with the Wi-Fi in here, and it went down, and so we bumped over to the other room, and Katie's been out because she's quarantined. We're going to get all that fixed, and we're going to eventually get back in here, but right now, just come in the morning. Be led by the Spirit. You'll find out where we are, okay? On Saturdays, we come at 9 a.m., and we have a great time together. It's a blessing. You know, I was exposed to uh, something good, and that was Highlands Church. Uh, when my daughter Elizabeth was in college, and we were living in Auburn, Opelika, and then we moved here, and once we left town, she said, okay, i got to find a church because my dad's gone now. So she started going to Highlands and then moved to Birmingham and attends up there some. And so... Uh, I got to be a part of their GROW conference, and I, I just knew from experiencing that that we would benefit from it. And uh, so I got folks to go. We got had to get into the GROW conference. I got folks to go, and they went and loved it. And now we've had more and more people go, and they've loved it. And then our staff started doing 21 days together. And it was such a blessing to us. We said, we want to open it up to the whole church. And so we did that. Now, some of you are able to come and be a part of that. Some of you are doing it online. However it works for you, just do it. It's a great shot in the arm in August because, we, as we all know, August is what kind of a month? Disgruntled month. That's right, because it's hot outside and it's not fall yet and football's not here yet and you got to come back from vacation and you got to go to work and you got to go back to school. And so you are disgruntled that's right but you're not you're not disgruntled you're happy because we've been encouraging you and boy that praying time is a real shot in the arm in august so i encourage that okay are you ready i'm going to open by telling you a story today and it's from when i was in college i went to middle tennessee state i dropped out my senior year i came to florida to answer the call to the ministry and then i had to go back to school to finish college I moved to Montgomery, Alabama. I got a scholarship to Huntington College. And the last day that I was working at a church after I graduated there, there was a guy who graduated with me. His name was Robbie Heron. He came down and joined the church my last Sunday. I don't know if it had anything to do with me leaving. I didn't ask because it would have hurt my feelings. But no, he came down and he joined. And then he said this. He said, You're, you've just been appointed to my grandparents' church in Kentucky. Go see my grandfather. He's dying of cancer. He's got cancer. And so I did. I moved up there. Laura and I moved up to Kentucky. Uh, I, she was at the college. I was at the seminary. And that summer, we spent time visiting with Mr. and Mrs. Fitzpatrick. 
Robert and Matilda Fitzpatrick. And Mr. Fitz, as we called him, uh, was at the point that he was not going not long for the world, but he, you could still talk to him, visit with him. He liked to watch baseball, so sometimes I would go see him, and he would be watching baseball, and I would just be talking to him. And what I learned about Mr. Fitz was that he had three daughters. Uh, one of them became a Christian educator, had a master's degree. She was in our church, and her husband was the Sunday school superintendent. Two other daughters married Methodist preachers and other conferences, and, and Mrs. Fitzpatrick, Matilda Fitzpatrick, was a saint. I mean, this is a saintly lady. Well, Mr. Fitz, years ago, he had been an alcoholic, and he was so bad that he didn't trust himself to drive, and so what he would do is he would take a taxi to work and back home. They didn't have a car because he didn't want to hurt anybody else, but he worked every day. He, he was a, a working alcoholic, okay? So here's what happened. The middle daughter, Marilyn, got sick. And I mean, she was not going to make it. She was really at the point of death. And Mr. Fitz prayed and he said, Lord, if you'll just let Marilyn live, I'll quit drinking. And God honored his prayer. Miraculously, she was healed and she did live. And Mr. Fitz quit drinking. And he never drank another drop of alcohol for the rest of his life. And it was years and years and years. But you know what? He couldn't forgive himself. He couldn't forgive himself for what he had done because sometimes when he was drinking, he would be ugly to his wife and kids and they'd have to run out to the neighbor's house. And he just hated the way that it affected him and the way that he treated other people. And so he couldn't forgive himself. And so I spent that summer talking to him about grace and trying to help him understand that it's not something we earn and that it's something God gives and that being a sinner is a prerequisite for salvation. Because look at everybody in this room. We're all sinners. Look at you. I can just tell by looking. We're all sinners saved by grace, right? And so I talked to him about that all summer. And so then one week of the summer, Laura and I, we went down to visit family in Tennessee. And we were supposed to be gone for the week and then come back that weekend. And on Wednesday of that week, I told Laura, I said, we got to go back to Kentucky. And I didn't know why. I just felt led to go back. I said, we got to go. And so she said, okay. So we got in the car and we drove back to Kentucky and we got in that night. When we walked in the door, the phone was ringing and it was Mrs. Fitz and she was calling from the hospital. And she said, Robert is at the point of death. Can you come? And I said, we'll be right there. We drove back for that apparently. And so I went to the hospital in Danville, Kentucky, and he was laying in the bed, and there was a lot of family there, and he was facing the wall, and I walked in behind him, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I kind of woke him up a little bit, and he turned over and looked at me, and I said, Mr. Fitz, you know that God has forgiven you, don't you? And he said, yes, I've asked him to. And he rolled over, and that's the last thing he ever said to me. And I went home, and about two hours later, she called. And she said that he was gone. He had died. And I was so grateful that I had that time with him that summer and that God had directed his grandson to the church that I, where I was working to let me go. And, and what are the chances? You know, that's just not, that's, that's a glory sighting right there. That's a divine appointment. And, and, God just, and those people were just the salt of the earth. And I told that story at his funeral. I mean, he's got two of his sons-in-law were preachers, you know, and they want he, he gave me some advice and they wanted to know all about that. And so I shared it with him. But, you know, it was an interesting thing. And I just got a front row seat to watch God work again. Now, if you're here today and you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, God can forgive other people, but he doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know my past. 
He doesn't know who I am and where I've been and what I've thought and all the things that I've been involved in. And I just want to say to you today, you've come to the right place because God is in the business of saving sinners. In fact, it's a prerequisite for salvation. And so if you're considering to being a Jesus follower, don't let your past and the devil and the enemy lying to you about that God can't forgive you. Don't believe that because it's a lie from the pit. Nothing disqualifies you from becoming a Jesus follower. Now, Jesus' first century followers were a great assortment of people. There were small business owners and a couple of IRS agents and some patriots and some people who put Israel first above Rome. And there were men and there were women who followed Jesus. And some were blue collar and some were white collar and some were educated and some were uneducated. But I want to talk today about some of the earliest and the most famous followers of Jesus. One day after church, there was a guy named Simon Peter, who's not famous at the time, but he's just a guy in the community who invites Jesus home for lunch. And on their way, he says, Jesus, my mother-in-law has a fever and it won't go away. I wondered if you could address that. And so Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house and he heals his mother-in-law and he does it on the Sabbath, which is a big no-no because the law says you don't heal, you don't work on the Sabbath and healing is considered work. But Jesus goes ahead and he heals her anyway. And then a neat thing happened. If you'd been there and you had seen Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law who was not well and you saw what happened, what would you do? Well, you'd probably go out and you'd probably talk to your friends or your family members who are sick people who need healing, and you would have said, come on, you got to go meet this guy. And so here's what happened. Later on in the day, when the sun set, word got out, and they started bringing people to Jesus. And Jesus is there for them. News begins to leak out, and in Luke, the fourth chapter, it says, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Now, I want you to catch this. That, that's, that's written like it is for a reason. Laying his hands on each one, why is that a big deal? Jesus didn't have to touch him. He could have just healed him. He could have just spoken it. I mean, he brought Lazarus out of the grave after death by just talking, right? You know, God just speaks the universe into existence, but he touched him. I'll tell you why. Because in those days in the first century, you weren't supposed to touch people who were sick and dying. People who were lepers, there ain't no way you're going to touch them because you could get leprosy, right? But Jesus made sure that he touched them. Instead of becoming contaminated himself, which is what they thought would happen, he healed them. And the reason that Jesus healed them was not just to make them well. Yeah, he cared about them. He had a heart for them. He wanted to help them. He wanted them to be well, but there was more to it than that. A lot of times he would say, you're well and your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. But in those days, in that culture, at that time, people associated sin with sickness. If he's sick, what did he do wrong? What's his sin? And so that's the way they looked at it. And you couldn't really tell if somebody had forgiven your sins just by looking, could you? But you could actually see it if somebody was physically healed. If somebody was physically healed, you could see that happen. And maybe if Jesus could physically heal someone, then maybe you might let him try to heal your relationship with God. 
or with another person. And so that's what they did. And oftentimes, he, he would always touch them for that purpose. Now, how can you tell if a person can forgive sin? You can't, but you can tell when he heals them. And so it was an opportunity. If I can heal them physically, I might get a shot at healing them relationally and spiritually. So Jesus was healing people, and it set the stage for what happened next. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is located in the northern part of Israel. Now, it's a lake. It's a freshwater lake, and it's about 14 miles long and seven miles wide. And as he's walking along there, he meets some guys, Peter and Andrew, who are fishing. And he says to them, come follow me. And at once, they left their nets and they followed him. That's bizarre. And it goes on, it says, and then he sees James and John out in a boat with their father. And he says, follow me. And immediately, they left their boat and their father and they followed Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. When you read that, through the scripture, here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, he just said, follow me, and they went. I don't get that. Because you know what Jesus said? Count the cost. I want you to really consider what I'm asking you to do. I want you to really think about what it means to follow me. I want you to understand it. I want you to process it. And I want you to apply it in your life when you're ready. So all of a sudden, he just says this, and they go. And it doesn't make sense, but Luke gives us a back story to help us know what's going on. He, he helps us understand why they followed and how they followed. And we're going to see that today. In Luke, the fifth chapter, it says, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, wait a minute. One day Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee. That's the one I'm looking for. And the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Is that what we've got up there? Yeah, that's good. Okay, Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee. You say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> Potato. So here we stumble upon something that's very important, and that's simply this. The Christian faith begins with information. It doesn't begin with faith. You know, that's why you can explore the Christianity. That's why you can read God's Word. That's why you don't have to take somebody's word for it. That's why you can process it and learn and grow and ask questions about it. And so Christianity doesn't begin with faith. It's an informed, evidence-based faith, okay? And because the authentic version of Christianity can be questioned, information leads us to faith. Now, I want you to hear this, and you might want to write it down because it's good, okay? We don't become Christians, or we do become Christians by faith, by faith. We don't become Christians because of faith. You see the difference? When we finally act on it, it's by faith. But it's not simply faith completely because Jesus wants us to really acknowledge and understand what we're saying yes to. You know, we've never tried to talk people into joining the church because that's just foolish. I just say to them, thank God you're here. If this is the church for you, wonderful. If it's another church, wonderful. We just want you to find a church. We're happy for, and then we just, because people are just like, if you start talking to them, if they find out that I'm the preacher and they've been visiting, they're like, okay, I don't want to join. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> I get it. I surrender. <laughs> no problem. You're good. And then I just kind of talk them down off the ledge. And then once they realize that we're not going to pressure them, then what happens is they start asking questions 
questions. And all we're trying to do is answer their questions. We're just trying to inform them and let them make the decision. Now, you remember John the Baptist. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. And John the Baptist is out teaching and preaching, and Jesus shows up. And John the Baptist, do you remember what he says? He doesn't look at Jesus and point at him and say, believe. He looks at Jesus and he says, look, the Lamb of God. This is the guy I want you to see who came to save us from our sins. You see, he says, I want you to look so that you might follow. And if you follow, you spend time with him, you might begin to believe. He says the same thing to us today. He says, look, here's the word. Look at it. Follow it. Study it. Read it. Be in a small group. Go to 21 days of prayer. Worship. Do, you know, do all those things. And then spend time with Jesus. And then you know what? You know what could happen for you? You could begin to believe because of that. So Jesus is teaching people, and there's people crowding around him all the time. And so in Luke, the fifth chapter, he continues, and he said, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. Now, first of all, I want you to see that what he's doing is rabbis taught sitting down. They didn't stand up. And so he's, he's got all these people around him. It's hard for him to speak. So what he does is he said, can I borrow your boat? He gets in the boat. He rows out a little bit. And then the lake carries the, the voice of Jesus to the people there on the shore. And he begins to teach them from that sitting posture. And, and it's not just Peter who's listening. It's Andrew and James and John, and Jesus finishes the sermon, and he gives an invitation. But he doesn't give a come forward invitation. He gives a go fishing invitation, okay? He, he wants you to hear it, to listen, and to do something about it. He says, I want you to abandon your family and your family business. I want you to follow me. And he gives Simon Peter a baby step. See, it was a big deal to follow, but he says, before he asked him to do that, he says, just do one thing. Just be obedient to this one little thing I'm going to ask you to do, Simon. And then he just waits to see if Simon will do it. And here's what happens. When he finishes speaking, he said to Peter, or to Simon, put into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now that's something he knows how to do. He's a fisherman. He knows how to fish. And so he's saying to him, why don't you just trust me and try again? Go out and fish and let's see what happens. And Simon answered him then, and he said, Master, Master, he called him Master. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. You know how you feel when you've been working all day and you're worn out? What if you had to work all night and now you're really worn out? And, and fish, you know, daylight and fishing doesn't go together. It's darkness and fishing. That's why they fished at night. And so... He, he knows fishing. You know, you're trying to tell me how to do my job, but he, there's none of that. And, and this is a transition moment for Peter. This is when he has an opportunity to do the right thing, and he does it. And everything's going to change based on his willingness to be obedient to Jesus. And he says, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. See, when you went fishing, not only did you come in, you had to clean your nets and you had to dry them out. And you know, you've been out all night. It's time to go to sleep now. And he's going, try it one more time. Now, here's what I want you to see and what he says to us. We have no idea what hangs in the balance 
to us saying yes to the next thing God is calling us to do. Because you may have said yes to Jesus years ago. You might have been a Christian for many, many years, but now he's calling you to do something new and you're scared. Chris Hodges said that he was at church and in a small group and they said, come forward. And he didn't want to go forward. So he went home and led himself to Christ. He wanted to do it at his house. He's the pastor at Highlands. We were talking about that. He was doing, talking about that in 21 days this week. You know, we're afraid to try something new, right? But nobody knows what hangs in the balance. What if these fishermen had not said yes to Jesus? They would have just been fishermen. Nobody would remember their names. Nobody would have any recollection of who they were. They were guys who lived and fished and died, and that's all there was. But here's what I want to say. You have no idea what hangs in the balance by you saying yes to whatever God wants you to do next. And that's true for all of us. And usually, he wants us to do something that's uncomfortable. He wants us to step out of our comfort zone. Why? Because it takes faith to step out of our comfort zone. And when we act on faith, we grow closer to God. And that's what he wants. And so that's what he's calling us to do. Okay, back to the story. Then they dropped their nets. And when they had done so, it says, not, not when they believed, not when they considered, not when they thought, not when they prayed, but when they acted on what Jesus called them to do, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. You see, Jesus was saying it's not just enough to listen. You've got to do. One way to say that in church is you can't just sit and soak all the time. You have to stand and serve, right? And that's what he's calling all of us to do. It's not enough. We've got to, to make action. And then when their faith intersected with the character of God and the faithfulness of Jesus, everything changed. And the Bible says they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw that, he cried out and he said, we're rich. We won't have to work anymore. And immediately Peter offered Jesus a seven-year contract with a 30% ownership of the company and a seven-year non-complete clause of termination of the contract by either party, right? No, I don't think so. I don't believe that's in the Bible. I just made it up to see if you're paying attention. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. That's what he said. The assumption was that God distanced himself from sinners. And Peter, he's made an observation. He says, Jesus is closer to God than I am, and I don't feel comfortable being around Jesus because I'm a sinner, so I just need him to go away from me. Because the religious leaders of that day, they distanced themselves from sinners. They didn't want to be around sinners. What did Jesus do? He, he sought them out. He spent time. He went to their house. He, he visited them. He let them hang out with him. The disciples were scratching their head going, do you know what he does? And, and they're going, yeah, he's going, just chill. I got it. It's okay. It'll be fine. Because Jesus had come to establish a brand new kind of relationship. He came to reverse all that. He wanted a relationship between God and man. And being a sinner was a prerequisite 
to be a follower of Jesus. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Now, I love this, and I want to make it come alive today. And I don't know, have any of you seen The Chosen? Have you watched any of that? We have permission from them to show a little clip today. And it's the scene about this very thing where Jesus says to Peter, just give it a shot. Just try one more time. And I want it to come alive for you because I want you to feel and experience what it's like to be in the presence of Jesus when he performs a miracle and just see what he does. And and I want you to see him as human and real, even though he's also God. Watch. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. We've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word. My brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. 
I'm sorry. We've we waited for you for so long. We believe, but my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. What do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Don't you just love that? I love it that Jesus looks at him and he asks him to do something and he looks back, Peter looks back at him and he gives him an excuse and Jesus doesn't say anything. He just stares at him. He just looks at him. And so he goes, okay, it's your word. And then when they catch the fish, Jesus is laughing because they're happy. He's excited for them and he's celebrating. You see him look up to heaven and he's thanking God, right? And what a blessing that is. And then after Simon Peter's convicted, he kneels down and he said, lift up your head. He's saying, look at me. He said, I'll do anything you want me to do. He said, follow me. That got his attention. You see, you see how there was a progression there? And he was saying, don't be afraid. If you're with me, you'll be fine. I can do anything. It'll be all right. You can follow me. Because being a sinner is a prerequisite to salvation. And he followed him. And because of that, Peter would say to us today, if Jesus did for you what he did for me, you'd follow him too, wouldn't you? Yeah. And that's what Peter's saying to us today. Jesus did so something so amazing. Who wouldn't follow him? And that very same Peter wrote a letter. And if you've got a Bible, it's in your Bible. And he, he writes 1 Peter. And in the second chapter, he says, when they hurled their insults at him, meaning Jesus, and he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Now, Peter didn't hear about that from somebody else. He saw it for himself. He saw them take Jesus, arrest Jesus, beat Jesus. They saw him crucifying Jesus. And when he had suffered, he made no threats. And it goes on and says, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, he entrusted himself to God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So it's not something you and I do. It's something he does for us. And then when God looks at us, once we've accepted Jesus as our Savior and we've met the Lord our God and the Holy Spirit lives in us, then what happens there is that when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He doesn't see our sins because he says, I'll cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. And so that's what he did for us. And what does that mean for us? It means instead of being dead and separated from God by sin, we can pray and ask God to come into our hearts and lives and Jesus to live there and the Holy Spirit to take up residence and we can have a relationship with God. And that's not all, Peter says. By his wounds, you have been healed. You have been made right with God. He was the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. He was the last sacrifice that would need to be made. We wouldn't have to sacrifice animals anymore. We can just see the Son of God dying for us, and he was perfect without blemish. And when Peter made that simple decision to put his nets back out in the boat, then his experience, his faith intersected with God's faithfulness, and everything changed. So I have to ask you this morning, who are you following? Who are you following? 
And what's the next step for you? You see, if you just follow your friends around all the time, they're just as likely to do something wrong as you are because we're all just human, right? But the point is that we've got somebody to follow. In fact, if we follow the Lord, then we can lead our friends to follow the Lord too. Maybe you're just coming back to faith. And so some of you, you've been putting it off and you need to act on it. For some of you, you may need to reconcile a relationship for things to move forward. For some of you, it may be about moral purity and you bought into the culture of today and the sexual ethic of that culture and you just need to walk away from that. For some of you, you may be serving and you need to get out of your comfort zone and be stretched and do something unusual for God. For some of you, <clears throat> you may have a hard time letting go of stuff and God wants to teach you how to become more of a giver. Are you going to live the rest of your life afraid of something that you have no control? Or rather, will you see Jesus asking you to come and follow him? Because you don't know what hangs in the balance with you saying yes to the next big thing he's asking you to do. Mr. Fitzpatrick lived all that time, didn't know if God could forgive him. But as he began to understand grace and as we worked with him and spent time with him, I just got a front row seat to watch God work in his life. And he was convicted and he accepted Christ. It made a difference in where he spent eternity. There's nobody here listening today. There's nobody listening to my voice who may be watching us online. There's nobody. There's nobody. There's nobody that God can't forgive. In fact, if you're a sinner, it's a prerequisite for salvation. Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us who you are and allowing us to act on who you are, to take that as a reality in our own lives. Lord, I pray that no one would end this day without asking you to be Lord of their lives. If that's where they are, if that's the conviction they feel today, if they need to return to you, whatever they need, I don't know, but you do. I pray that they will hear and they'll do more than listen. They'll act. Those who have ears to hear, the Bible says, let them hear. And all God's people said, Amen.